several months ago, as we were preparing for Pastor Ron to take a sabbatical this summer, uh, we looked through the weeks and knew that there was several weeks that, that he would be gone and I would be gone at youth camp, and, and in order just to lessen the load on me a little bit, uh, we scheduled Clint Richardson to come and speak. And even though Pastor Ron is not taking a sabbatical, he's still gone on vacation for a couple of weeks here and a couple of weeks later in August. And so we just kept Clint on the schedule. And I'll tell you, this week there was a lot of time that I sang Clint's praises this week as I was at youth camp thinking about coming home and having the service this weekend. And uh, and uh, as I said, we worship created things rather than the creator. And I sang Clint's praises all week. I didn't worship him, but I did sing his praises. I am grateful that Clint is here. He had a late night last night traveling in, but I'm grateful that he's here and he's going to share with us this morning. So, Clint, please come and share with us. Thank you very much. It's good to be appreciated. I'll take it however I can get it. I just want to start by saying that there are places in my life that cut me very easily in an emotional way. And this place has always been that for me. Um, coming here is like coming home in many ways. And, and I thought, at first I thought, how is it going to be preaching to a larger congregation in a, in a, and to fill the footsteps of a man that I greatly respect and Pastor Ron and, and Pastor Jason as well. And I thought, it's going to be kind of intimidating for me as I'm in the search process. I'm in the, um, the awkward time of, of not already and not quite yet. And... Um, in that, just said, how is, how is this going to go? And this morning, again, as I've been sitting here and I've been, and I had a chance to prepare in your sanctuary and to be in your Sunday school again, it, it's just a chance for me to come home. And, and I look out, I see, I see a lot of faces that I've always known. I don't always know your names, but I'm sure my wife does. Um, you know, I got, I got married right about here. Um, this is a little different view when you turn around. This is what Pastor Ron got to see. Um, so overall, you'll hear it from me again and again. Like, I am thankful and grateful for this opportunity to be here and, and um, just really surprised in a way that Pastor Ron would, would, be, uh, would be asking me. So again, I'm thankful. I hope that I, you hear that. Um, again, it's just great to be here. It's great to be able to join you. It's, um, as Pastor Jason said, my name is Clint Richardson. Before we start into... Um, our message this morning, which is based out of Colossians, I'd like to spend just a bit of time introducing myself so you kind of know who I am. Um, right now you know that I'm married well, and that's about it. Um, I was born and raised in Watertown, South Dakota, and I had a pretty typical childhood growing up. Uh, summers were mostly spent at the outdoor pool or making forts by the river, and winters were spent in school or ice fishing with my father. That pretty much wraps up the first 14 years of my life. Um, I think I had it pretty good. When, when I describe to people what my, what my youth was like, I, I normally say, and this might not be as familiar as it used to be, but it was a very much a Norman Rockwell painting for me as a child. Like We had those moments where I um, ran at the river and made rafts and went camping and, and had those typical type um, Mark Twain type experiences. In my junior year of high school, my father got sick with cancer, and he passed away early in my senior year. This event, even now, 12 years later, is hard for me to describe, because it's the hardest loss that I've ever experienced. 
but at the same time it offered me a year of getting to know my father in a more personal, emotional, and tender way than I never would have without that. It's just too bad that it took cancer for that level of relationship to occur between my father and I. After graduating high school, I spent two years attending a small community college in Ely, Minnesota, right near the Boundary Waters. This was really just an excuse and a cover-up for me to go camping and fishing for a couple years. And for me, as a young, confused man who had just lost his father, this was a chance for me to get away and, and find myself, which I did, I guess. I found a lot of patience. I found a, a, an incredible culture shock for me as I went from uh, relatively small town, water town, to backwoods, northern Minnesota, where you can drive your snowmobile to class. And, um, and it was a culture shock for me, but it, it just began the process of opening my eyes to the world and teaching me things. Um, after graduating there with an associate's degree in my general education, I moved to Aberdeen to continue school. Throughout my childhood, I did not regularly attend church, although I was generally aware of the Christian message or at least thought that I was. In early high school, I had friends share their faith with me, and I was interested, but not interested enough to make any commitment. When my father passed away, I had a close friend give me a Bible with 1 Peter 5-7 underlined, and it said, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about what happens to you. That was the first verse that I ever memorized, and I remember it to this day, and I think of it often. Um... But I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it could possibly mean that the creator of everything could be someone that would care about my stuff. Um, but it got me thinking. And that was really the seed for me that started the process of thinking through these things. And seeing my friend experience the loss of his own father in a Christian way was, was a challenge for me. At that time, I started reading my Bible, and that started confusing me more as I read it wasn't a Christian, didn't go to church, but I started to see it as living and and active. In my college years, I got really good at pretending I was a Christian, but I really wasn't living any sort of authentic faith. It was in that time of pretending that I got pretty actively involved in, in drinking alcohol and using drugs. And although deep under the skin, I knew the way I was living wasn't good, my bad choices only increased and grew darker, as they do when they are hidden. Darkness likes darkness. It hates light. And that's where I was at. Eventually, those choices led to a rocky bottom. And in that time, I got on my knees in an early morning after a long night. And I prayed to Jesus Christ that I was finally ready to give it all instead of holding so much back. And that, for me, is a time where where Jesus Christ became my Lord and Savior in a real specific way. that, That when I look back, I can really see how God had been at work in my whole existence that I could see his hand in things that that was when I submitted over. After that time, I was still living in Aberdeen. I started a community house for Christian guys and started a high school outreach, another ministry in town. And it was during that time when I felt a call through prayer, uh, through pastor, through the church I was attending, and friends to attend seminary. So I made the big move to Sioux Falls and uh, attended seminary there for three years and, and graduated about three years ago now and started working within a nonprofit in Sioux Falls. Somewhere in there, I also got engaged and married to my beautiful wife, Emily, who grew up in this church, as we know, and we've now just been married over two years. I currently run a youth center in the downtown area of Sioux Falls called the Bowdoin Youth Center. 
It's kind of humorous because like Pastor Jason said, I made a late trip into town last night and Pastor Ron called me at about 6.30 and said, so are you in Aberdeen? And I said, no, I'm in a basketball tournament. Um, I'll be playing until 9 and then I'm going to be making the journey up. And he's, oh boy. So thankfully got off work a little earlier than I thought and had a chance to get a good night's rest. But being at that youth center has definitely been a full-time ministry for me as I'm very able to share and to teach and to pray with the youth that we serve. We serve um, 8 to 20-year-olds, and we're open five days a week, and we serve anywhere from 50 to 100 youth a day. And It's a really busy, active place, and it's taught me a lot of skills and, and things that I need to learn. And It's mostly just taught me, again, to rely on God. I'm also working within a church in Sioux Falls to gain more pastoral experience and to help out wherever I can in that local church. And again, both of these opportunities have been um, so placed by God and have been so good for me to learn and to grow in those. I really enjoy my time in the youth center and especially working with the youth that I get to serve. Um, but last year, just about this time in August, it was even in August and early September, um, felt a re-reminder, felt a renewal to the call that God had in my life for pastoral ministry. So I've been very slowly and sometimes almost painfully and intentionally working that out and involved in that search process. It's been a prayerful time for Emily and I as, uh, as we seek to move into the next step in our lives. And again, as I already kind of said, that all these things have really, have really worked together for me to kind of paint this portrait. That there's brush strokes, and this is a brush stroke here, that, that all these things have worked together to make the portrait of the, the things that God's doing in my life. And I'm really grateful for this for this brush stroke, that this too is a very active part of my development and my preparation for what God has called me to. Um, and again, I just want to say that I'm, I'm very thankful and grateful to be here with you. In our time of morning message, we're going to be focusing on Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8. And from these verses, we're going to be looking at the three things that Paul focuses on as he encourages the church. Three things that characterize the church. And then we are going to spend some time thinking through how these things affect us today and how we are called to live them out. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, please turn there now. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this time together in worship. As we heard this morning and, and, and think of this morning that our lives are worship in whatever we do. And Father, we pray that our week is a worshipful time unto you. 
as we gather together here in your house for a time of corporate worship, we pray that you would be here with us. That as we enter into a time of hearing from your word, that you would continue to lead us by your spirit into your truth. I pray that I would faithfully speak the message that has come from you through Paul's words of encouragement. Help us all not to hear the messenger, but to hear your message in this time. And help us all to be molded and shaped more each day by your truth. And help us put you first in every part of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Colossians, Paul's writing to a church that he has not visited before. His purpose in writing is to encourage and remind the church of the truth that they had already heard. Overall, he is responding to some false teachings that are spreading around. But again, he responds to those false teachings by reminding them of previously heard truth. In some ways, I can relate to this reminding approach because I am I'm here to do the same thing. It is my hope, like Paul, to encourage this church from God's word in our time together. I'm obviously not here to preach against any teaching because I know that you are hearing God's word being taught here. I'm also not here to teach anything new because we are people centered around an old message and an unchanging message in God's word. My hope this morning is to again remind us all of the truth in Jesus Christ, the truth we live by. Before we start on our main focus this morning, it's interesting to note that Paul says he thanks God when he prays for the church, and then he lists specific things that he is thankful for. This causes us to pause and ask ourselves, are we active in keeping our churches in uplifting and thankful prayer? This does not mean prayers of wishful thinking or conflict management, but prayers of thanks for the things that are praiseworthy. Through prayer of thanksgiving, we can shift our focus to the encouraging, positive things that are going on in church, instead of being tempted to get hung up on other challenges. Without prayer, our inclination can be to focus on things that distract us from the good things that are going on. That is not our central point. First off, in Paul writing to the church, he says that he thanks God when he hears of the church's faith in Jesus Christ. The Christian church must be centered in faith in Jesus Christ. The word faith is used very often in the world today. Most people are quick to say that faith is an important part of life and must be held on to. But faith in what? Faith is a dependent word. It must be placed in something. We must have faith in something. So what, we ask, does the world have faith in? The world obviously places their faith in the things of the world. We hear people say, either directly with their words or indirectly through their actions, that they have faith in works or in being a good person. We hear people describe how they have faith in their family or even the stuff they own. We hear many people saying that we must have faith in a specific sports team 
and that we must hold on to faith that they will come through and win. Sadly, all of these options for placing one's faith are too small and empty and do not have the strength to believe in. We as the church place our faith in something so much greater than anything the world can know. We place our faith in Jesus Christ, and we know that he is big enough and strong enough to support that faith. He is the only true option available in which faith may correctly be placed. When we share with other people about the church we attend, what type of things do we normally share about? I personally share about the sermon, because that's what interests me, or the pastor, or the music, as I would imagine most of us do. But do we share if our church is centered on Jesus Christ and Him alone? Are we quick to say that our churches are preaching God's Word about His Son and salvation? We must center our faith in Jesus Christ, and that must be the reason we gather together. There is a great struggle in the world today, and sadly, even in many churches, to lose the distinctive focus on Jesus Christ. There are churches that are separating themselves from Him and His Holy Word, and as a result, they are losing the distinctive of being a Christian church. We must keep Jesus Christ central in our churches, in our teachings, and in all of our motivations, because he is specifically what makes us his church. Without him as our central focus, we would be no different than any other gathering of people in our culture, whether a country club or a fitness club. This does not mean that there are not things that we should wrestle with or change in our attitudes and the way we live. We serve and keep central a person that was at most times controversial in his life and his interactions. He meant and spent time with people who were not accepted by his culture. He talked with people that others did not have time for. He served the ones that were forgotten. Keeping Jesus central in our churches does not mean being more separated from the world around us. It means that we must bring Jesus Christ into the world to share him as the only way, the only truth, the only life. I was reminded of this again this morning as I had a chance to sit in on one of your Sunday schools and see Mark Driscoll, a pastor whom I greatly respect. And Mark has a real strange reputation among many people because he's a truth speaker. And he doesn't mince words because he just says he doesn't have time for that. And he has taken the time to really blow up some things in the church that maybe we get too hung up on and to remind us of the truths that we must grab onto, the truths that we must never let go of. He too lives that controversial sort of life of speaking truth and knowing that God's word and God's authority is so much more than the culture we are in. So when we interact with the world, our message needs to be Jesus Christ. We shouldn't completely separate ourselves from the world, and we couldn't, shouldn't completely blend in. We must stand apart in the way we live and the way we speak to the people we meet. 
We are people made for a different world, a world to come. And that is where our focus should be as we live and interact in this life. Sometimes the name of Christ is enough to repel people or make them think our message is not in keeping with modern times. But we must go out to tell people about Jesus, even if it makes people uncomfortable or if it makes us uncomfortable in the beginning. There are ways to share our faith in Jesus and be respectful to the people that we are talking with. Again, we also know we speak from a biblical authority. And from that authority, we are able to speak truth. Not because it's something that we have written or something that we hold true, but something that is true because we know that it comes from the Creator of all. Our faith should be so central in our lives and sharing about it should come so naturally in our conversations. It should just jump out of us. Now, in saying this, I can't help but struggle. I can't help but struggle in the way that every good biblical preacher should, and I'm attaching that word good in in hopes. I hope I grow into that. Every biblical preacher wrestles with the fact that they preach a message that they struggle with. I've struggled for years with sharing my faith, and I've always written it off as being, well, I guess I'm not gifted as an evangelist. I guess I'm not made for that. And those have just been excuses. Excuses I have made to, kept my, to keep myself from the uncomfortable interactions that I may or may not have. And just a refusal to have faith in those areas. I know that there are people with the gift of evangelism. I have friends with some of them. And I know that that comes very naturally from them. And I know that I don't quite have that natural gift. That does not excuse me from sharing about my Savior. This truth became clear for me as I was reading this book by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a book that I would recommend to everybody. If you can get past the title, I think it affects us all. The book is called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure, which is a collection of sermons from the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And this truth hit home for me as I read in the third chapter from his words. If all Christians simply began to function as the New Testament would have us do, there would be no problem of evangelism confronting the church. The matter would deal with itself immediately. It is because we are failing as Christian people in our daily lives and deportment and witness that the church counts for so little and that so few are attracted to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are hard words to hear. They were hard when I first read them, and they continue to be hard for me to hear today. But they ring true. We must ask ourselves if we have been faithful in sharing about our Lord and Savior to the people in our lives. And even more, we must examine if our lives reflect a life of transformation. Why is there such a difference between the ease that we find in sharing with many people about a new restaurant in town and how great the food is, and even more when the food or service is lousy, and the difficulty of sharing about Jesus Christ? In the first, we receive a meal that lasts a couple of hours, and through the other, we receive 
unmerited forgiveness, redemption, adoption, and eternal life. We should be so centered on our faith in Jesus Christ that it is a natural part of our life and conversations. Secondly, from our text, in his encouragement, Paul writes that he has heard of the love that the church has shown towards all the saints. The interactions and actions that the people were showing towards each other were observable. And Paul had heard about their actions towards each other. We too have a reputation based upon our actions and interactions, whether that be a good or bad reputation. And we are called to live out love, especially to each other in the church. Jesus said this truth before in the Gospel of John in chapter 13, verses 34 and 5, when he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How can we better understand the idea of love that we are called to live out? For me, Pastor John Piper's definition of love in his book, Desiring God, helped me better understand what we are to base our love in. Pastor Piper wrote that love is the overflow, overflow of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. Love is the overflow of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. Dr. Piper's truth and statement is so reflective of the words of Christ that we heard in John 13. Because when we understand the love that God has offered us through the work of His Son, when we understand the depths of redemption offered us by Jesus Christ, we find joy. And we desire to share that love with the people around us, especially those that are joined together in the same love of Christ. As the church, we must be known for Christ-centered love, which we show to each other. This means that as individual members, we need to be people that are growing and showing love towards our families and in all of our relationships. We need to ask ourselves if we really love people and then ask those people if they really think of us as loving Maybe the answer to that question would be too much information, especially if we ask the people that we were closest to. We need to wonder if we can consistently act frustrated or grumpy towards our families and at the same time say we understand and are able to model Christian love. We must act out love in our relationships. Acting out love was especially challenging for me in the beginning of my marriage I had a hard time writing that sentence because I wanted to say in the first couple years of marriage if that would put us at today. We've only been married a couple years, but it's been a challenge for me. I've been working for the same nonprofit for three years, and for the first year and a half, I worked in a residential program for youth with chemical dependency issues and, and psychiatric issues. And I saw my work there as ministry and was investing in and giving my best to that ministry. 
and it was entirely draining physically, emotionally, and mentally. Emily used to say that she could tell how my day went and how my mood was going to be just by how I closed the door behind me. It's been hard for me to accept that. That I would add to something like that. That she would be at home saying, my husband's coming home, I wonder what he's going to bring. It's been hard for me to accept that and to change this area of my life. And the first step for me was being aware of what I was doing. I was offering my best to my job and my leftovers to my wife. And on most days, there was just not much left over. It has been hard to slowly change the habit of bringing my frustration home. It has taken me getting more grounded in the love that we have been offered through Jesus Christ and the love that we are called to show in our relationships. Collectively, we as loving individual members come together into the church. And as a result, we should be able to show love to each other so much that other people take notice. This is the level of love that we are called to in the interactions and relationships that we have in the church. This love should look different to the world and be noticed. People outside of the church should be saying that the people at church really seem to love each other. And that is part of our witness. As people will know that we are his disciples. This truth was again shown to me recently with, when I was talking with a pastor friend of mine. He's in a uniquely challenging position in his church. Is there moving away from a lot of unhealthiness and moving towards health and revitalization. In our time together, I could tell that this week had been a rough one. We talked through some of the things that were going on in the church, the things that were wearing on him. Towards the end of our conversation, I asked him what was going well, and his response was insightful. He said that the best things that were going on in his church, the most encouraging things, were the things that he had no control over. They were the love acts that people from the church were showing each other. He described a situation where several families had gone out of their way to help a new refugee family that had started attending the church. He told about how one family was loaning their car for the other to get to work and run errands. He described how a mother was spending time teaching English while the children had a chance to be children and play together. The entire atmosphere of our conversation shifted from hard pastoral work with long days to describing the love of Christ at work. It lightened us both thinking about the love that was being shown to that new family. And that is the effect when the love of Christ is modeled and seen by others. These are the things that encourage us in long days and freshen up gray times. I've been reflecting on this idea of love because love is in our culture. Love is talked about, shared about. We are encouraged to love in many things in our lives. But the love that we are talking about based in Jesus Christ is completely uncultural and unknown by the world. 
we as people that come together in the name of Christ do not go out and serve people because they deserve to be served. We don't serve people because we get something from it. Because those things lead to burnout and tiredness. We serve as the body of Christ because our Savior loves us so much and paid the price for us on the cross. And that through that love shown to us that we are able to go forth in that to love those, to love each other, and to love the world. In that, there is no burnout as long as we take care of ourselves. But in that, in the power of Christ first, that we go and serve because Christ said to, that is what motivates us as Christians. On a related side note, as a visiting pastor, I would like to take this chance to tell everybody here to please go out of your way to encourage someone in the church this week whether through a note, a phone call, a text message, however you would like to do that, I really think everyone here should do that. And again, as the visiting pastor, I would go even further to say that everyone here should find a personal way to encourage the pastoral staff and other leaders within this church. To let them know that their work is not in vain. And continue to do these encouraging things each week. And become known as a group of people that loves Jesus and loves each other. Lastly, from our text, Paul says that the characteristics of faith in Jesus Christ and love of the church body comes because of the hope laid up for us in heaven. Paul says we should be people that are known for being hopeful. Not because the things in this world are going to work out, but because of the eternal hope that we have through Christ. Colossians 1, verse 12 and 14 says, as I paraphrase, that we are to give thanks because God has chosen to qualify us. He has delivered us from darkness and transferred us to an eternal kingdom. We have been redeemed back. We have been bought back into relationship with God through the Son. And through that, we have found forgiveness of our sins and their effect on our relationship with God. This is the hope laid up in things to come. It is in this truth, and only this truth, only in this truth that we are able to agree with Paul when he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The things that we experience on this earth, the hard things, the challenging things, Paul is so centered on Christ and the hope to come that he says these things are light and momentary. That does not minimize the things that we experience here on this earth but it greatly maximizes the hope and the things to come. As I briefly said, I've had a chance to serve in a church in Sioux Falls, and through that time I get a chance to preach and teach kind of once or twice a month. And, and it's almost become comical to people, as I know that 
it is in a way with Pastor Ron as he kind of comes back to some of the same things. And my same thing has always been adoption, redemption. We as God's people have been given the right to become God's children through His Son. That we have been adopted into God's family. To be heirs. To receive an eternal inheritance. If you told me today that I was receiving an earthly inheritance of millions of dollars, I would jump for joy. I would tell every sing- I would call everybody here and let you know. I would be so excited about that. If I won the lottery, which I don't play, I would just I would be screaming from the rooftops about that chance that I had to do whatever I wanted. And we are. We're we're all lottery winners in the bigger, longer, eternal kingdom that comes through Christ. Again, are we quick to scream from the rooftops of the great inheritance that we have received through Jesus? We need to ask ourselves those challenging questions. Do we model eternal hope to those around us? In a time of uncertainty and struggle, are you more known as an anxious person or a hopeful person? Do you place your hope in your retirement, your family, your job, or your stuff? Or do you place your hope in your Savior, Jesus Christ, who offers redemption, forgiveness, and eternal life. This must affect the way we live our daily lives because when we stop putting our hope in this world, it allows us to stop letting this world control us. Instead, we can see in our time here as an opportunity to work for God and to share the good news with the people in our lives, those that do not have an eternal perspective of hope. In my time of working at the youth center, I often get opportunities to speak to young visiting or groups of young visiting people that come in. They're usually involved in a ministry called Urban Plunge that offers weekend immersion trips into, into bigger cities. And we are one of the stops for them. We're one of the ministries. I had the chance to recently speak to about 20 youth. I think that the leaders of the organization have kind of just gotten used to the idea that I always kind of have something to share. And so they just kind of give me this awkward block of 15 minutes, and I usually find something to fill it with. I usually describe how this eternal perspective must change our daily existence. When we understand that our hope is laid up in heaven, we interact differently in this world. We can be more concerned about serving Christ to the fullest instead of worldly success. We know we don't invest in earthly, temporary treasure because instead we lay up treasure in heaven. For where our treasure is, our hearts are there also. I tell them that as Christians we are called to take more risks in the way we live. Because we serve a God who does not take risk. We need to step out of our comfort zones and our protected living and live to serve the one who has made and sustains all of creation. 
We must come to terms with that. With that truth in our lives. If we believe, as the Bible teaches, that this life is but a vapor, we must invest in things that are truly valuable. Our time in this life should model more of a wartime mentality than a peaceful one. We are called to be mindful of our spending and intentional with our living in order to be extravagant in our giving to God's work, whether financially or with our time. We must make the hard choices to step out in faith, to enter into kingdom work. All too often we can get caught up in living and chasing after a life of comfort. But that is not the goal of our short time here on earth. Our goal is to deepen our relationship with our Creator. To rely more, learn more, and become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our aim is to share the good news with the people around us and the people we meet. We aim to be known as people of faith. We aim to be known for people of faith, for people of love, and for people of hope. These are the three things that Paul lays forth to the church that must be a part of our identity and witness. The section of scripture that we looked at in Colossians 1 goes on to say that these things are the truth that we have heard before the truth of the gospel. Through hearing and believing the truth of the gospel, we are transformed to be people that are faithful, loving, and hopeful. When we are able to see the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the price that was paid, when we see that we have been qualified, delivered, transferred, redeemed, and adopted through Jesus Christ, we must be transformed to reflect that truth in our lives and then collectively in our churches. This is the message that the world needs to hear, the message of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. This, too, is the message that we have heard and committed to and the one that we must share with our families, our neighbors, and wherever we live. The gospel is for unbelievers. The gospel is the message to come out of darkness as I was in when I made bad choices and lived for myself. To come out of that. To rely on the Son, Jesus Christ, the work on the cross, the unmerited work that I don't deserve. But the message is also for believers. The gospel is for believers. As we rely each day on the truth, as we understand the grace of God in truth, as we understand that grace that we rely on each day, that we too commit ourselves to that. As we continue to rely on and teach and talk about the gospel, It will continue to bear fruit and grow as people hear and understand that amazing grace 
of God. This is the call that we must respond to as the church. We must labor to hold fast to our faith in Jesus Christ. We must continue to love each other and show acts of love. And we must hold to the eternal hope that allows us to see differently the world we live in. These are the things that Paul encourages in the Colossian church. And in turn are the things that we should be encouraged to pursue. Please pray with me. Father God, we again thank you for this time that we have had together in worship. We thank you for your holy word that came to us as a revelation from you. We pray that your spirit would be at work in this time and we continue to be at work now as you lead us, as you lead us all to see where you are at work in our lives. Father, help us to see the growth that we have made in the strength of you. And help us, Father, to see what the areas of our lives that don't reflect your truth. That we would be known as people of your word. That we would take ourselves to your word and, and use it as a filter for the way we live. Father, that you would help us by your spirit to grow as people that have faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Love of the, of the world through that and love of each other. Father, that you would help us to be hope, hopeful people. Because we are laying our hope in the future. Help us, Father, to continue seeing your perspective in our lives and to see this world with your lenses, to interact with and to teach and to share about your good news to those that are around us. Again, I'm gratefulness is such a central part of my life as I've just come from where I have and am now where I am, Father, and I know that we are just jars of clay, that you are at work. And so again, we thank you for our time. We thank you that we are a part of a great church that preaches your Son, Jesus Christ, and centers on your holy word. We ask for your blessing upon the rest of our day, the beginning of our weeks, and the rest of our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, will you stand with me as we close? Just after Paul writes that in Colossians chapter 1, he says this. We pray all these things in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience that you may joyfully give thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let us celebrate that together this week. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed.